Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Now look at my front butt. Right. 
I wonder if they kind of lifted some of that idea for what eventually became Freddy versus Jason, because that was kind of the whole point of Freddy versus Jason is Freddy didn't have any of his powers until he started killing people again. You know? Yeah. That was that was a big plot point in uh, Freddy versus Jason. So man, people better forget there were about I, about tw- if it wasn't for Alien Three, Nightmare on Elm Street Five would have had the record for most screenwriters. It has jokingly been called the bastard son of a thousand maniacs <laughs> as a teaser to the other line because of how many writers they had take a crack at it. All right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. It would be interesting. Who did end up directing that? Uh, uh, I forget, but it was a mess. Even uncut, not when Elm Street Five was a mess. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of the most forgettable films in the series. You know, like uh, I after part three, I kind of zone out. You know, I mean, I've obviously yeah. seen. I've obviously seen every Nightmare on Elm Street movie a thousand times, but I forget. After part, yeah, part three was probably Four and my five favorite. were the ones with Alice, and I did not like her one. Yeah, yeah. It's hard when, you know, they start, some of those horror movie franchises, they start stringing storylines together that kind of, Span like three movies in a row, you know, like they did it with uh, Friday the 13th, you know, all of a sudden uh, Tommy Jarvis is like the main character in the in the series. Yeah, for, like, the problem with those is that every ending of the Tommy Jarvis, except for six, ended with Tommy's going to become Jason. No, we're not going to pull the trigger. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah. I mean. Friday the 13th, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, rather. Um, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but they kind of uh, they kind of set it up like he was going to uh, absorb Freddy's powers and become the next Freddy. Uh, yeah. You know, I can't remember what the character's name is, but um, there's, a, there's a whole documentary out about it now. Yeah. You've, probably, you've probably seen that. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. on Shudder. It's easy to see. Yeah, I think that I think the documentary is kind of funny because uh, the whole time they're trying to say you you know you've seen it so they're trying to say the that Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two was a whole analogy for homosexuality and none of the actors working on it seemed to realize that at the time or supposedly that's what they say in this documentary which just came out. Was it last year or earlier this year? It hasn't been out that long. Uh, uh, last year on the festival circuit and earlier this year on uh, PPB and streaming. Right. I just think it's funny that they all say, oh, well, we never we never got that analogy. I'm like, really? Did you ever watch the movie? <laughs> uh, no, it's just so, uh, I just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, moving on. Do you remember who were the first two directors that George Lucas asked to direct Return of the Jedi? I remember one of them was David Lynch. Right, David Lynch 
And when David Lynch said no, they asked David Cronenberg. Oh, I never, I don't think I ever knew that. Yeah. Imagine how different David Cronenberg and (laughs) David Lynch's Return of the Jedi would have been. Well, it's funny that you brought this up because, like I said, I've been having a lot of problems with my internet this week, so I've only been able to get online when I'm at work. So I've been trying to think of different movies that I wanted to talk about, and actually the the fantasy David Lynch version of Return of the Jedi was one that I was going to bring up as well. Uh, I never knew about David Cronenberg, but, oh, man, like, I'm a huge David Lynch fan, and I'm trying to think what his version of Return of the Jedi might have been like back then, though, because if you think about, like, the really weird, like, of course David Lynch started his career off with weird short films and Eraserhead, but then, like, if you really think about it, um, Elephant Man is a weird movie only because of the of the story. It's not, he didn't direct that one in a really weird way, you know? And like, he didn't do one of his, you know, he didn't do a lot of his stylized weirdness. And then Dune, again, mostly uh, straightforward directing. It wasn't until after Dune that he really started going off into his like real weird, even Blue Velvet isn't directed in a strange way. It, it's just a, yeah. has a strange story to it. But um, yeah. after Blue Velvet is when he really started getting into, like, all the craziness that we now know David Lynch for. So if he had done Return of the Jedi, say, instead of Dune, or they came out around the same time, right? Dune came out in, like, 84, right? Was that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and Jedi came out the same year or the year before. I can't 83. remember. But yeah, 83. That's what I thought. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe his take on Return of the Jedi would have been as, like, as straightforward as his take on Dune, you know? Um, so, which in, in you know, art, for argument's sake, might have made it a more boring movie than Return of the Jedi actually is, you know? But uh, yeah. I would have been... I I the longer the version of Dune, the better it is. Like, here's another one. The five-hour work print version of Dune that was yeah. uh, David Lynch's original cut. I would kill to see that because the three-hour cut or the TV version that was written by Judas Booth and directed by Alan Smithy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. I I think a longer version would have would have done it would have done it some uh some justice for sure. Like um and you you've of course uh, heard the stories where um when they originally released the truncated version in theaters that they handed out a little uh booklet so that you could follow along to figure out, you know, what was going on like that, that's how much they had to cut out of David Lynch's original version. They're well, like, that's well, how much the Yella cut out of it. She wanted a two-hour movie, and there's yeah. no way to do Dune in two hours. No. Well, aren't they doing a 
aren't they currently working on a I think I read somewhere that they're currently working on like a like a ten part miniseries like they do on Netflix well, now. Well it's or, a new theatrical movie. It's gonna be a two it's gonna be a two part movie. It's gonna be a two part movie. Oh yeah, 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 that's right. Uh Dennis Bellew is uh directing that, right? Yeah. 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 But well, everyone who's seen it and Paul Smith said that that original work print cut of five hours was a masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing is, like, now would be a great time to re-release that because, as we're talking about, like, I mean, I was joking about it uh, with my wife earlier, but it's like, I'll sit down in front of the TV and put something on Netflix and be like, uh, I'm not going to stay up for an hour and a half to watch a movie. And then the next thing you know, I just watched a 10-part docu-series that an hour, every episode's an hour long, you know, so... Oh yeah, yeah, that that hour that hour and a half was really going to grind on me. But I guess I can watch ten hours of a show, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like, did you like ever people... get to see the TV cut of Dune? I've seen, yeah, I've seen the TV cut. Yep, yep, yeah. God, it explains so much. You wouldn't need that book because they explain every freaking thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I'm not saying that as a bad thing. So. Now, what do you imagine the David Cronenberg version of Return of the Jedi might have been like? I mean, now that, now, I mean, we talked about Cronenberg uh, last week on the show, uh, but we talked about, you know, like his earlier movies, but Cronenberg Cronenberg kind of came right out of the gate as a a lunatic. So uh, his version of Return of the Jedi, I mean, all I can... All I can think about is what would the Ewoks have been like? I I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, but remember, he did learn his lesson from Scanners is that he should have added more action to it. Right, right. And plus, there's those amazing set pieces in Scanners, like uh, when the van opens and the side opens up and all the guns come out and just like boom, 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 boom. Right, right, yeah. Well, I'll say you got a hell of an action set pieces from him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like uh, it's he. It's kind of funny because while we're talking about it, he kind of had the opposite uh, arc as as David Lynch. David Lynch's uh, last few, last few films and like the last season of Twin Peaks that he did uh, last year are just kind of bonkers, but uh, David Cronenberg kind of settled down a little bit when it came to, like, the body horror sci-fi stuff. I'm not saying that he didn't do some great, uh, you know, some of some of those uh, action films that he did mid-career uh, yeah. were, were well, amazing. Well, you have to remember, he did The Dead Zone just to prove to himself that he could do a normal movie, and he could do a studio film. Right, right. Yeah, and the Dead Zone. I mean, I don't. There's not a There's not a David Cronenberg film that I don't like. I mean, he's every film he's ever Adam done. Adam Butterfly. I, yeah. Why not? I mean, think about it. Nowadays, nowadays, every director wants to adapt some uh, Broadway play into a film. He was what he was a trailblazer when he did that. You know. I mean. Yeah. 
The only regret he has with Madam Butterfly is he cut out two lines from the end of the film. Oh, yeah. And that is when they're driving him away and the original cut, which he cut this, uh, the guy in the front of the car leans back and says to him, he said, did you know? And then they, and then uh, Jeremy Irons looks at him and goes, "Who cares?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, and well, then that would have faded to the ending. Right. Yeah. Well, that actually would have kind of been a better ending to the film. I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And here's another one keeping in the David Cronenberg lexicon. David Cronenberg's Total Recall. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, as much as I love Paul Verhoeven, um, I don't know. That's not that's not one of my favorite films of his. I mean, of course, if you're talking Paul Verhoeven, RoboCop is always going to be the pinnacle, you know, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't really care for total recall in its, in its form right now. I bet, I bet David Cronenberg could have done a really good version of that. I bet that would have been interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's been enough uh, versions of, uh, of the sketches that came out from the guys who were working on it before Cronenberg left that it would have been a wild trip. Right. Right. Yeah, I think one of my... Watu and all the mutants would have really fit into his whole body horror thing. Right. Yeah, I think that's one of my biggest problems with with Total Recall is um, I just don't care for the special effects. And uh, it seems to me like... You gotta like the three-boobied woman. Well, of course, everyone likes that. And uh, what's his name? Krautu. What? What? What's the guy's name that grows out of the side of the? Oh, Quato. Uh, yeah, Quato. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but I don't know. A lot of the special effects Cronenberg just come off. Version of Quato would look like a cancer growing on the guy's stomach. Right. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is just like, I think the Cronenberg version, the special effects would have just been better, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And, and, and cheaper, you know, Cronenberg has a knack for doing things on the cheap, you know, I mean, of course, when we start getting into movies like Naked Lunch and Crash, of course, he had bigger budgets and the special effects were were more realistic, but you know, when we're looking back at his older movies, I mean, even then we were just talking about scanners scanners has the, the whole head exploding scene. And that's one of the cheapest special effects I've ever seen in my life, but it still looks amazing after all these years when you're watching it, you know, I mean, yeah, even though it cost him his hearing, (laughs) right. (laughs) And you know, it just like, makes me wonder how did he not realize that shooting off a shotgun <laughs> with you being under the table and getting <laughs> the brunt of the noise would be a bad thing. <laughs> well, he is Canadian, you know. 
shooting. Probably the probably the first time he ever shot a gun in his life. <laughs> Just so, uh, and then there's uh, all the undone projects of uh, David Lynch will that's out there in script forms that would have been great, and that's uh, uh, Ronnie Rocket, One Saliva Bubble. Yeah, I, I, he brings up Ronnie Rocket every once in a while, like he's still thinking about making it, but he also brings up quite frequently in interviews nowadays that he's not going to make any more uh, feature-length films. Uh, I think I think he's kind of, um, like I said, you know, that third season of um, that third season of Twin Peaks is basically like a ten-hour-long movie, and. I think a lot well, of filmmakers... Well, it's the same reason Cronenberg's retired and the same reason John Waters is retired. They yeah. got tired of begging for money. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised Scorsese uh, is still making films. Like, I, I talk to my wife about this all the time, and I'm like, I can't believe a filmmaker on the caliber uh, of the caliber of Martin Scorsese has to go to studios and beg for money. If if he's got an idea for a movie, just give him the freaking money. Come on, it's Martin Scorsese for crying out loud, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, but then again, what did he do? The, the last film that he put out was The Irishman, and he went to Netflix with that, and he didn't even bother going to the studios because he was like, screw it. I got an idea for a four-hour movie. No studios well, going to give me money. Well, he's been trying to get the Irishman made for God. Who knows how long? First oh, yeah. thing I yeah, heard yeah. of it was about ninety-eight, ninety-nine. Right. Yeah. And I can't believe no studio would give him the money for that back then. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, what? Uh, Goodfellas came out in ninety-two, right? Like, yeah. So. And then Casino was like ninety four, ninety five. So yeah. I mean, but he after was that riding. he had a series of flops, which was Kundun, which flopped. The Age of Innocence, which flopped. Yeah. Well, period pieces are a hard sell for. Well, not that his, not that most of his movies aren't period pieces, but most of his movies take place in the time that they were released. I mean, going all the way back to Mean Street, yeah, he made a gangster movie that takes place in the 70s, but it was the 70s, you know? Goodfellas, he made a gangster movie that took place in the 90s, but it was the 90s. Casino. Well, Goodfellas took place in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Right. So, just that's just logging, you know, lagging behind a little bit. But, yeah, when you start, I don't know, uh, it, period pieces are a hard sell for me anyway. Like, it, it's got to be something I'm really interested in if I'm going to sit and watch it. And like you said, yeah. yeah the Irishman was good, but good God, was it too long. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, uh, I, let's see. De Niro could've... was miscast. I'm sorry. But everyone yeah. else was on point. Pesci was he, great. I've never seen Pesci act good. He no. should have won the Oscar for the Irishman because he was that damn good in it. Yeah, he did. They did they nominate him for an Oscar in that? I, I yeah, thought, they nominated. Yeah, yeah. 
who won the Oscar I mean, last he year. was so calm and collected in there. You're used to seeing the psycho, crazy Guido in almost every role he's played. Yeah, right. I don't know. I, Yeah, he and he's another one who kind of retired from the scene. He hasn't been in a movie in a long time. No. Yeah, because he was tired of playing the crazy psycho. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right. No, I, I mean, I, I, I think it's cool that he won the Oscar for Goodfellas, but yeah, he's not great in Goodfellas. I mean, he, you're right. He, his acting in that is just over the top the whole time. Oh, he was Goodfellas. You gotta, you gotta. The problem with Goodfellas now is. All of the subpar versions of it that Pesci had done since Goodfellas, including <laughs> right. <Leo. laughs> right, right. That's why you sometimes know, it's hard to go back to watch the original film because you've seen all the rip-offs and all that first. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What do you do? Uh, what? Three heads in a duffel bag? Is that what it's called? That? Yeah, three uh, heads in a duffel bag. Ugh, horrid. Now, I will say, though, that uh, I do still like him in My Cousin Vinny. I thought, oh, I thought God, he was good. Oh, that movie was good. I wish they would have done a sequel of that one. Really? What do you think the sequel could have been about? He would have just had another case? Yeah, why not? <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> Yeah, no, like he was really Like a Perry good. Mason or something like that. Right. Uh, well, knowing the way that things are going nowadays, they'll probably do a, a My Cousin Vinny, uh, you know, Netflix series, but it won't have Joe Pesci in it. They'll get, uh, well, I was going to say Ralph Macchio would play the lawyer, but he's already tied up doing the Cobra Kai TV show. So yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. What's a, who's another uh, Italian American that we could get to play? Uh, play. Well, we just get somebody to play it. But nowadays, <laughs> you'd have to get an Italian American, even if they could act or not, because we can't have someone play la 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 all that political correctness. <laughs> right, right. I know. I was reading something about that uh, the other day. I can't remember. Ah, this is a pointless story just gonna go i'm just gonna amble because i'm not gonna be able to remember any of it and like i said my internet's down i can't google it right now but yeah i saw something uh last week that was one of those things and look i agree with it you know i'm not racist i'm not sexist i agree that things need to be politically correct to some degree but yeah some of this stuff is going over the top like uh uh abby and i were watching Abby and I were watching Faulty Towers the other day, yeah. and we we have Faulty Towers. We actually have all the episodes on VHS, and you saw that they pulled down the Germans episode of uh, of Faulty Towers off of all the streaming sites. Yeah, and yeah, and they they pulled it down for two reasons. One, because a character says the N-word, and, you know, I mean, we can't have that even when it's satire nowadays. And then the other thing 
The other reason they pulled it down is because Basil keeps saying, don't mention the war, but he keeps bringing up the Holocaust and stuff. And it's like the whole, we talked about this, I think last week or the week before on the show, like, you know, it's, it's satire for a reason. Like, yeah, it, is it, am I going to go out in the street and see a black man and call him the N word? No, because I'm not racist, but can I giggle about it when I'm watching a 30 year old television show where a yeah, or it? that one scene. It's one of the funniest scenes to me in Kentucky Fried Movie where he runs up and goes, N-word. And then it has them, it's like life secret, daredevils. They're talking about they risk their lives at every moment. And then it just shows the white boy going in a black neighborhood going, Nana. And then the black guy's chasing him and beating the crap out of him. Right. You know, see that's that's good satire. Like that that's funny. Like I I don't know. I have some friends that are like super super PC who are like, you know, you can't say things like that because it just it just uh furthers a stereotype and it emboldens people who believe in that stuff. And my argument against that is, you know, can you those people fight for your life. <laughs> yeah. Those people are already emboldened anyway. If I, you know, if I make jokes like that, you know, it's not. I'm not empowering them. They are. They already feel empowered. I'm just making jokes because I'm a wise ass, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't it's know. Like, they're like. Oh, I don't like this movie. It's racist. I'm looking at it like, ha, ha, ha. Have you seen Fight for Your Life or Goodbye, Uncle Tom or uh, or Pretty Eddie? No. Then you don't know what. (laughs) That's so funny that you mentioned that. I just watched Fight for Your Life earlier today. (laughs) That's funny that you brought that up. That movie movie will fry your brain (laughs) if you're politically correct. Yeah, that movie is racist, sexist, ultra-violent, anything you can imagine. Yeah, it's an equal opportunity offender. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, for sure. <laughs> so speak- But now we're going into one of the holy grails of fans. And we're moving into Tarantino territory. Can You can just guess which one I'm going to mention. I was going to say, speaking of racist, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> no. no. I don't, well, I don't holy grails, and that is Kill Bill. Oh, Kill Bill, the whole bloody affair. Fair, yeah. Oh, I've got that DVD bootleg of it. Good God, does it flow. It flows better than part one and part two, watching them separately. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. I I haven't seen it. I've never seen the 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 whole bloody affair. But of course, you know, I'm a huge Tarantino fan. It is. You're right. Yeah. It is the holy grail. I want it. I want it. And you said you were just wandering around a, a convention, and you just some dude in the back corner booth had a copy of it that you bought. Yeah, selling a Blu-ray of it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. No, I've never seen it. So we kind of talked about this uh, last week or the week before. But so 
how did how does it flow from the end of part one into the beginning of part two? Because of course you know I have them both individually. Um, well, but does it the, does it, it does it doesn't have the stinger on it, so right. you don't know that BB is alive until she walks in the door and sees her. Oh, well, that's yeah. interesting. <clears throat> yeah. Right. And yeah. you know how mellow it's, it gets at the first of part two? Yeah. Well, just think, it's coming three seconds after watching the biggest fight in the whole movie, the 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 dying yeah, the, versus the crazy 88. You're right. going from yeah, that yeah. big giant fight to this mellow stuff. You know, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. It helps you breathe, you know. <laughs> now, I've always wondered this: um, when you watch that version of it, does it have like an intermission or something? Like, no, like, it's supposed. Like, it was supposed to. It was supposed to be end with uh, the speech. You know, your. Uh, Wicked life, why I spared your wicked life. Yeah, I, yeah, I, she, yeah, she told me, what did she say? She said, I'm going to spare your wicked life. Yeah, wicked yeah. Wicked life, yeah. yeah. And then it shows her get her other arm cut off. Right. <laughs> That's one thing to Kill Bill Volume 1 really doesn't make clear is that she's just a stump. Right? <laughs> yeah. When she and, goes to the hospital, she's a stump. Yeah. Right? Because in the, in the two separate American versions, she doesn't even show up again in Volume 2, does she? I, I don't no. think so. No. No, yeah, she, she doesn't, doesn't show up in Volume 2 either. No. In the second half of the movie. It's just that she says right. that, and it shows her lying there without her arms and legs. Right. Huh. And yeah. then it goes, yeah. then it has a music, dun, dun, dun. And then you have intermission. Right. So, but there's no intermission on the actual DVD? No. No, not like, uh... Because he never well, did get to send out the full three-hour version, you know. Right. Because you saw, uh, you saw a Hateful late. Roadshow, right? You saw that in the Roadshow yeah, version. Yeah, that's another yeah. Holy Grail that's probably never going to come out on D on Blu-ray. Right, but they do have the. I don't know if it's the same. I can't. I can't differentiate, so I can't tell if it was the same version that we saw on the Roadshow circuit. But you know, no, it's longer. Uh, he adds Netflix, stuff back into it. Yeah, Netflix has like the four episode. Uh, version yeah, that, it's four. Like, it's four fifty minutes, so it's about yeah. thirty or more minutes longer. There's more, a little more added to it. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of padded out, but of course, it doesn't have the whole like roadshow experience where it's got the intermission and everything because you can watch it in chunks. But yeah, yeah. God, so pretty seeing neat. that roadshow. Did you get the C to seventy millimeter version? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We have I one. I wish they got to release that wider. Yeah. Yeah. Because some people one... went to see the 
35 millimeter cut, and I'm like, yep, I see why you don't like it. <laughs> right. They even changed dialogue lines in it. Really? Yeah, there's dialogue line changes, like uh, the version of her singing uh, Botany Bay is different, you know. I didn't, I never uh, noticed that. And of course, the sheriff, uh, Chris Mannix, is one of his, my favorite line is not in in the theatrical cut. I know it was you that did it. You know why? Because you're, this is from the 70 millimeter version, you're one ugly son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and that oh, was boy. in the road show. It's not in the theatrical. That's one of the, his best, funniest lines in the movie. Right? Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it, I don't think we're going to get the extended hateful eight on Blu-ray. I would kill for it. Yeah. And the seventy nice. millimeter, the Roadshow cut. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Now here in Maine, we have one movie theater in the entire state of Maine, and fortunately it's only about half an hour from where I live, but it's the only movie theater in Maine that still shows films on film. So... Yeah. And they only have two theaters, and they always have one new movie and one uh, classic movie on on tap. So, I mean, that's where I got to see that. It was really cool. And, yeah, that it's, I mean, the other movie theaters here in Maine have all gone digital. Even the drive-in theaters here have all gone digital. So yeah. you can't, you know, you can't get the good stuff. But there's that one theater, like I said, it's about 20 minutes, half an hour from my house, and they still show stuff on film, and that's really cool. I and that's where my I, program from uh, the hate from the hateful oh. eight. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. And you're going to laugh at me. And on top of it is the complete Hateful Eight pop set. (laughs) Yes, I have all five of them, which is uh, Hangman Ruth, Jennifer Jason Leigh's character, Sheriff Chris Mannix, and, of course, uh, Samuel Jackson. Right. Yeah. Well, I think I told you this before, but uh when the last uh one of the last um movie theaters that here in Maine when they were closing, it was when um Grindhouse was in the theater and they had the lobby card and every time that you went to see Grindhouse you could get a lobby card. So I went back and watched Grindhouse in the theater like nine times just so I could get all the lobby cards. <laughs> yeah. That's how much of a I don't nerd know I am. why Miramax waited a fucking year at the least to put out Grindhouse. 
on Blu-ray. Right. right. Yeah, and we talked about this before, too, because I don't have it on Blu-ray, but it, on Blu-ray, it, yeah, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It wasn't it even a big release. No? As in a noun. It was just like I was walking through Walmart. Do, 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 do. What the fuck? <laughs> right? And then I yeah, was like, we, holy shit, it's the actual movie. Before that, the only way to see Grindhouse at home was to get the Stars Network. I have I have the two individual movies on uh, DVD, but then, of course, I downloaded the fake trailers onto my computer, so... Now, I have a I have a video I have a projector here and a, a screen at my house. So yeah. now, I watch I watch uh, I watch Planet Terror and then I project the trailers onto the screen and then I watch Death Proof and that's how I enjoy the yeah. the full experience. <laughs> But, so. And what's uh, funny is those trailers are really what we lost when Grindhouse flopped because all of people were really, the directors were really drooling at the mouth to make their movies. Yeah. Like Grindhouse 2 was going to be uh, Werewolf Woman of the SS and Thanksgiving. Yeah, now see that would have been amazing. <laughs> I mean, I know Edgar Wright was just kind of making a joke when he did "Don't." Like, I know that was never going to be a real movie, you know. But I mean, I don't know. We got Machete for better or for worse. I mean, for better. Yeah. The first one is great. The second one, eh. Yeah, I feel the same way. I have both of them on DVD, but I'm just kind of like, yeah. The best first thing one about- was great. I wish they would have made the second one just like the first. A no-budget Mexican action film. Right, but uh, Robert Rodriguez didn't direct the second one, though, did he? He directed... Yeah, I don't he even- did. That's why it screwed up, because for better or for worse, Robert Rodriguez is a star fucker. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. He's 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 touch and go for me as well. Like, I don't know. He's directed a, a few movies that I like, but he's directed a lot of movies that I just don't care for, you know? Yeah. I don't I mean, he's not he's not great. Yeah. I mean I can remember seeing Michelle the first weekend out and there was only like five people in the theater counting me. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I told you before that uh, when I went to see uh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, when I went to see Magnolia, I was the only person in the theater. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and speaking of Paul Thomas Anderson, that brings up another one that I wish they would he would have done, but I think that idea is pretty much dead in the water, and that's Boogie Nights 2. You never heard a book that was a plan for Boogie Nights 2? 
You're breaking up. I can't hear you. You never heard of Boogie Nights too? Oh no, I, I you just you dropped out for a minute. I couldn't hear what you were saying. Okay. Yeah, Boogie Nights too. No, I have never heard of that. It was supposed to be set in the eighties, right after the first one. It was going to deal with uh, a white roller girl becoming a star, aka the Amberland Gingerland era. Uh, Candida Royale, a.k.a. Uh, Julianne Moore's character, become a famous director on her own right. I Actually, I think you and I talked about this one time. Uh, I think we messaged back and forth about it on Facebook, just uh, shooting the breeze one time. But, yeah, I've yeah. Never heard, I, I never heard that it was actually going to be a real thing. It was just like a... I don't even did they ever get to the script stage of it or Yeah, he has the he has the script written. Right? Huh. And he said the biggest secret is he said one of the characters in the movie catches a big surprisingly catches a big disease and ends up dying by the end of it. I wonder right. who. <laughs> right? Huh. Well, he probably won't chase down that dream now that he's on the other side of the master and there will be blood. That We'll probably never see that one. Yeah. I don't, that, that I mean, but I don't know. I, I think Boogie Nights is his best. Well, Boogie Nights and Punch Drunk Love are probably my two favorites of his. I appreciate uh, there will be blood and and the master, but I don't know. They're, they're, it's just not not really for me, you know. I there will know. be blood and the master. If you didn't see those on the big screens, and eh, they're not movies to be seen on a small screen. Yeah, I mean, there's even like there are a lot of movies that I I particularly seek out on the big screen and I I talk to my wife about this all the time because she'll be like let's go to the movies tonight and I'm like okay what do you want to see and she'll mention some comedy movie or something and I'm like that's going to be on Netflix a month from now and it's not going to look any different I mean you know we have we have a nice big TV that's not going to look any different on our 52 inch digital television in the living room then it's going to look on the in the theater let's go see an avengers movie let's go see a star war like let's go see something that's going to look amazing on the big screen you know i mean like rocket man they had that one in concert level stereo in the freaking theaters which one rocket man oh rocket man yeah yeah, yeah, they actually, had that in concert-level stereo. Yeah. Well, that was the other, uh, one of the other cool things. Um, yeah, that theater I was telling you about that still shows movies in actual film. They have an amazing sound system there. And we did go one afternoon, and we saw, um, remember uh, from a few years back, Love and Mercy, the movie about uh, Brian Wilson? Yeah. Uh, from the Beach Boys. Uh, yeah, we went and saw that at that theater that still shows stuff on film, and the sound was amazing on that. I It was kind of 
I don't know. I might have smoked some weed before we went, so that might have had something yeah. to do with it. But, <laughs> but yeah, it was the, just the way that the sound echoed through the theater was crazy. That has that has great uh, sound design. That's another one of those movies where you you wonder about. I mean, I guess if you want to win an Oscar, you have to, you know, fight for an Oscar. But I can't believe that that wasn't nominated for Best Sound Design because that had amazing sound. It was really neat. I thought it was. And, of course, now we can get into Alejandro Jodorowsky with, well, the biggest one I'm going to say for the end of this conversation. But we have... King shot, the one that he almost got made, that yeah. had uh, uh, Asia Argento uh, and uh, Marilyn Manson cast in it. Right. And that must have come on the heels of uh, uh, The Heart is Deceitful Above All Things because Asia Argento directed that and Marilyn Manson was in that. Yeah. So, yeah, so that must have come on the heels of that. So. Yeah, I mean, it looked, sounded good from uh, the ideas that Joe Dorsky's talking, but he can talk a good game, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love him, but he is the king of bullshit. Well, I mean, to go to take a couple steps back, Tarantino's kind of the king of bullshit too. He talks about a lot of movies that he's gonna make yeah. that that he's never it's gonna like, make. Almost every time when they announce, and he's like, Tarantino says he wants to do this. Tarantino says he wants to do that, and I'm like, until the motherfucker is filmed and about, and the trailer is done and it's coming to theaters, I don't believe. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah. yeah, like like he said, uh, so, okay, so he said he's only going to make ten films, right? And yeah. he's already done nine, and now he's saying that he has a script for his Star Trek movie, and he doesn't know if he's going to direct the Star Trek movie or not, but if he does direct the Star Trek movie, it's not going to count as his tenth film because Star Trek is not his intellectual property, But, so I was talking to Abby about this this morning, and I said, well, does that mean Jackie Brown doesn't count? Because that's not his intellectual property. He adapted that from an Elmore Leonard novel. Yeah, that's part of the Elmore Leonard verse. Yeah, right? So what are we going to do? He's just going to... And Jackie Brown actually had uh, one sequel to it. Or a side film. Right? Yeah. So... Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, and another one is the one that people have been, his real fans have been waiting forever for, and it finally came out as a comic adaption last year, and that's El Hijo de Santo, El Hijo de Topo, The Sons of El Topo, which is the long-awaited sequel to El Topo that he's been working on since the 70s. You you know what uh, what I'm thinking of right now? You remember the very first podcast that we ever did together, like six or eight years ago? We yeah, it was it was me and you and Carl, and it was all about Joe Dorowski. <laughs> yeah, uh, and my friend yeah. uh, my friend Nick uh, 
called me the day after and he was like, I think it's funny how all three of you pronounce his name differently. <laughs> I just call him Jodo. <laughs> Jodo? <laughs> all right. Yeah, Jodowarski. Yeah. Alejandro mm-hmm. Jodowarski. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, you're better at it than me because you're Hispanic and I'm, I'm as white as white can be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's supposedly dealing with his sons after the end of El Topo. I haven't read it yet, but I want to. Huh. Yeah, I didn't even realize that uh that he did that. Uh I have seen that lately though. Like a lot of uh a lot of directors uh and writers have been going into comic books lately, uh well like Chuck Palinhuck did like his sequel to Fight Club in uh in like a series of comics. It wasn't a graphic yeah, novel. A third it was like a, you know, month by month. Uh he released like six issues month by month to Yeah. And there's a third and there's a second sequel coming out too called Fight Club Three. And there's a sequel to Repo Man out. And I'm not talking Repo Girl. Are you there? Okay. Hello? Hello? Hello, oh, Scott Boss. Hey. Oh, yeah. I, my, the call dropped out, so I called you back, and I couldn't hear you. But, yeah. So, you're uh, talking about... Uh, uh, Alex Cox did an actual sequel to uh, Repo Man. So there. So you're Not talking about girl. Re- no. Okay. So what? what I don't know. I only know of, uh, Otto's Hawaiian Holiday. The but there setup is, is after movie. 20 years after Repo Man, the aliens teleport him back to Earth, and he has to deal with that. <laughs> right. And the fact that everything's changed since then. Right. So you're saying that I've I've never heard of any anything called Repo Girl. So you're saying Alex Cox had nothing to do with that? No, he did it. It's just it's a piece of shit and Otto's Hawaiian Holidays oh. oh the actual sequel, Repo Girl is just him using the title again. Right. Repo yeah, Girl is just I mean, bad. Oh, God. I've, I've never been a big fan of Alex Cox anyway. I mean, I like Sid and Nancy, but I've never, I'm not even really a big fan of Repo Man. I know it's a cult favorite and a lot of my friends like it, but I never really cared for it that much. Uh, you know, I don't know. It just, and it's weird too because. It's right up my alley. It's the kind of thing that I should really be into because I'm really into 
aliens and UFOs and Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and conspiracy theories. So seems like the kind of thing I should be right into, but I don't know. It's like it's like one of those things like, again, I was talking to Abby about this the other day. I, I fucking hate the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I've never liked it. It seems like something that I should be into, but I have never liked it. Well, we talked about that before. And my favorite Alex Cobb probably would be Walker. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Like I said, I don't know. He doesn't really interest me. I thought Sid and Nancy was really good, but I've seen all of his films, but I don't know. Kind of, I don't know. I like him talking about cult films more than I like his cult films. Right, yeah. Well, that's true of a lot of directors. Like, there's a lot of directors that I'd rather listen to talk about their favorite films than watch one of their films. (laughs) Yeah. The, The exception, ironically, being Quentin Tarantino. He is my favorite director, but whenever he starts talking, I just... I just want him to shut up, you know? <laughs> yeah. he's, only, he's only interesting to me for about five minutes when he starts yakking about something. And then I'm just like, all right, enough. <laughs> just shut up and show the movie. Yeah, and there's also the unmade Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is Revenge of the Old Queen, which... You mentioned before you said there was a lot of songs in shock treatment that really didn't fit. Yeah. That's because they were written for Revenge of the Old Queen, and when it didn't get made and they moved over to shock treatment, he took, he salvaged what songs he couldn't be. Uh, Thank God I'm a Man, Breaking Out, Looking for Trade. (laughs) Right. Yeah, now, those are from Revenge of the Old Queen. Huh. It was like, what would supposed to be happening is uh, Brad and Janet are breaking up because Brad is gay and doesn't want to admit it. And uh, Rocky didn't die at the end of it, and he digs himself out of a grave. Huh. And the whole musical is... Uh, Frank's uh, mother and brother come to Earth to uh, try to stop him. Hmm. I actually like shock treatment more than I like Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, God, show. yeah, because it seems like when when shock treatment first came out, it was like, oh, this couldn't happen. And now it's happened. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> uh. But speaking of well, which, and that let's not forget about the one film that Tarantino never made when he was still looking to make a direct sequel to uh, Pulp Fiction, and that would be the Vega Brothers. Yeah. See, again, as much of a Tarantino fan as I am, I don't think I would have wanted to see that. I don't I don't know. It, I mean, if, if we're going to go that route, then why don't, I mean, it's it's a known fact for any film fan, especially a Tarantino fan, that there's a through line 
from all of his movies where there's always someone who's related to someone else in one of the other yeah. movies. And, you know, like, and I prefer it to just be left like that. You know, I don't, I don't yeah. want to see, I don't want to see the movie where Lee Donowitz, uh, you know, from True Romance goes to visit his, you know, grandfather, Donnie Donowitz from Inglorious Bastards. Like, I don't need to see that movie. I get it, you know? Like, yeah, and I don't... you don't need to see that Harvey Cottell's character worked with Alabama from True Romance. Right. Because yeah. they mentioned yeah. Where's that girl yeah, you used to work with? Oh, you mean Alabama? I heard you and married this guy. Right? Yeah. Do I do I need to see the scene where uh, Harvey Keitel shows up to visit uh, Clarence and in uh, Alabama in Mexico? No, I don't need to see it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That's oh, I that's the fact one that, that a lot of his movies are connected by kitchen talk. Right. <laughs> right. And, but yeah, uh, what the Vega brother was supposed to be about is the whole incident that led to. Vic Vega going to prison and uh, Vincent ending up in Amsterdam. Right, right. My mom, my mom, uh, you know, she mostly likes comedies, but she'll watch Quentin Tarantino movies with me because you know she likes, she wants to like the stuff that I like. But my mom mentioned to me one day, she's like, why does so much stuff in Quentin Tarantino movies take place in bathrooms? <laughs> she's like, it's all about What bathrooms. series is connected to the Quentin Tarantino universe by Django Unchained? Uh, I would guess the Django movies. <laughs> but No, Shaft. Oh, Shaft. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And and as a segue, speaking of that, after Shaft was a big hit and uh, Shaft's big score did really good, guess which book that Ernest Teitelman and uh, John Richard Roundtree fought to get done, but Warner Brothers wouldn't let them do it and forced them to basically make Shaft in Africa. Well, I was going to guess it was a Dolomite thing, but Dolomite was never a book. That was, that was, those were records, right? Dolomite originated from. Yeah, is a story, <laughs> record, yeah. 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 And that would be Shaft Among the Jews. Oh, well, I can see, well. I mean, I don't really see how Shaft Among the Jews is that much worse than Shaft in Africa. I mean, it's still kind no, it's of like... Really that, it's really the best book in the series. It's about uh, a series of robbery with uh, Jewish diamond hunters, and you had John Shaft hired to protect them and being with them. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I never. Uh, and there's this one never, scene in there where him and the Jew, old Jewish guy's fighting, and he looks at him. He said, "You don't know what it's like to be held prisoner and forced to do work and being killed just because of your race." Yeah, right. <laughs> and then the Jewish guy pulls up his arm and shows him his Holocaust tattoos, and he said, "We're more alike than you think." Right. Huh. Yeah. So did that. 
did that one ever get to the script phase, or did he just? Yeah, they Warner went, Brothers they, just they wanted Warner Brothers wouldn't let him do it. It was a book, one of the best and reviewed and the best of the Shaft books. But they wouldn't let him do it. They said we'd rather have Shaft in Africa and have him beat people up with a stick. Yeah, right. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have any of my old um I don't have any of my old uh like novel adaptions of like movies or wannabe movies anymore. I think I well, gave some of them, yeah. I gave some of them to you. But yeah. Yeah. So, I uh, don't know. Well, speaking of those Finnyard and the Great Mouser they tried to make for forever. Uh, Isaac Asimov's, uh, what is it? The one, the three book series, uh, about the society? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, crap. What is that called? I have the books somewhere. But yeah, yeah. they tried to make that. They tried to make a real version of iRobot. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I haven't seen a good Isaac Asimov adaptation. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And that's you know that's a big thing for me because, like I said, so I was mentioning like I gave you some of my some of my books. Uh, um, yeah. At, at this point. I really only collect, like, horror and sci-fi stuff, you know? Like, that's all I'm into anymore. I mean, of course I'm a stand-up comedian, so I'll still watch stand-up comedy and sitcoms and stuff, but I don't really own any of that stuff anymore because it's all on Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and everything. So so whenever I see, like, a new horror movie or a new sci-fi movie or a new sci-fi adaptation or something i'm all i always check it out but yeah i have never seen a good isaac asimov uh adaptation ever nope (laughs) they have faltered every time on that yeah except for if you've ever seen the episode of the outer limits where they adapted irobot as a one-hour play right yeah that one was good and the electric yeah. grandmother. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that I forgot about that one. Yeah. Was that Outer Limits or Twilight Zone? No, that was Wonderworks PBS's series in the nineties. Oh. Wonderworks, yeah. Uh, for some reason, I thought it was Twilight Zone. What is what yeah. is the Twilight? You you remember that Twilight Zone episode though? That's very similar. They have yeah. the robot. Yeah, they have the robot grandmother. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember what that episode was called, but I don't know if I I don't know if it was based on the Isaac Asimov story or if it was just similar similar idea. But Anyway, it always uh two they one they tried to adapt by uh Harlan Ellison Mephisto and Onyx. Right. Yeah. Now, why do you think they try to tackle these complicated sci-fi novels? 
Well, for crying out loud, been, going back to what you know we were talking about earlier, Jodorowsky, like Dune. We didn't even we oh, didn't we even never mention Jodorowsky, Dune. Yeah, he he had already spent one hundred thousand dollars on that movie and not shot a bit of footage. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. That and, movie would have been good. That movie, I don't know if it would have been a good Dune adaption, but God, it would right. have been one hell of a movie. Right. Salvador yeah. Dali is the emperor, is the Padishah emperor. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, it would have been amazing. That's for sure. Orson Welles uh, is the Baron yeah. Harkonnen. Right. If anybody out there has not seen the documentary about the failed making of Jodorowsky's Doom, you, uh, Dune, uh, you should definitely watch it because it is amazing. I'll, yeah. I wanted to rape Dune. I wanted to rape the book. I wanted to rape it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not fair that you get to do a Spanish accent and I can't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was his exact words when he said what did he say he said he wanted to do to the book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but that yeah, his version of Dune looks like it would have been I don't know. I know we were talking about David Lynch's version of Dune earlier, and a lot of people talk yeah. about how they hated it, uh, and he even took his name off it, obviously. We talked about that. Alan well, the Smithy, TV but... version, because he was so pissed off they wouldn't let him put out the five-hour five cut that he said, yeah. fuck it, you get the shitty two-hour cut for me, and that's all you fucking get, you assholes. <laughs> But I, he wrote I, and directed the movie, and what did he pick as his writer's, writer's name for the TV version? I don't know. Judas Booth. <laughs> you understand what that name comes from, don't you? Judas Booth? Yeah, Judas, or, the man who betrayed Jesus. Yeah. And oh, John Wilkes Booth. The man who killed yeah. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said Judith. I thought you said Judith, like Judith. No, Light, Judith. Like the, yeah, Judith. Yeah, Judith Booth. Yeah. Huh. That's funny. But yeah, I don't. I don't hate uh, David Lynch's version of Dune, but it is. It is kind of slow. I mean, I can't. I would love well, to see the five-hour version, but I would have to watch it in, like, yeah, three sittings. Yeah, but the three-hour version with added footage flows a hell of a lot faster. Right. Than the two-hour cut, where you're just sitting there like, why the fuck did they say that? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, so what else that we got? Oh, what else we got? vanished off the screen. <laughs> what else we got on the roster for tonight? Uh, you mentioned uh, one of our last emails. You mentioned uh, Ed Wood. Oh, God, uh, yeah. What if there was an Ed Wood film that was made in the 90s that starred Billy Zane? Uh, what's his name that played Hellboy? Ron Perlman. Yeah. 
Vampire. Uh, what's his name from Three's Company? The star. <laughs> oh, uh, John, John Ritter. Ritter. Yeah. Yeah. And it was about a, an insane uh, guy who escapes from an asylum who steals money from a bank and then it gets robbed. And then he get, he trips and falls into a grave and wakes up and his money's been stolen. So now he hunts down and kills everyone at the funeral to try to find out who stole his money. <laughs> and it's 90% yeah. silent. Now, okay, so 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 this is a, a script. Now, we're talking about the movie, I Woke Up Early on the Day I Died, right? Yeah, we're talking early the day I died. <laughs> right. Now, so Ed Wood had written this script. Uh, how how long ago had he written this script? Uh, back in the I 70s. Mean, back in the 70s. All right. Yeah. So when they originally started to develop this movie, were any of the principal actors Aside from, well, so Ron Perlman was still alive, obviously. Ron Perlman's still alive now. Well, yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Ron Perlman was still alive. But any of the other principal actors that you just mentioned, is Vampira's not alive anymore? No, Vampira's not alive anymore. John Ritter's dead. Yeah. And who else did you mention that might have been considered for the film? You mentioned a no, not considered. The movie was finished. It's complete. But the financiers are fighting between each other, and they got it tangled up in court. And there's no way in fucking hell. Basically, Billy Zane, the director, and everyone involved in it said, "There's no way in hell this movie's ever going to be." Legally released. So what? What year did they actually make it then? About ninety three, ninety four, right after Ed Wood. Huh. What year did Ed Wood die? I mean, uh, he died in about uh, seventy six, seventy seven, I think. Yeah, I was going to say he would have been long dead by the time this whole thing came together. He, or he, I don't know when exactly he died, but yeah, he was long dead. And they had this script, and it is fucking insane. It has Bert, it has Bud Court in it, but it doesn't have Bud Court in it. He plays the shoe fetishist who finds Billy Zane switching out of girls' shoes into uh, a pair of man's shoes. So Bud Court grabs the women's shoes and starts sniffing in them and grabs the woman's doll and takes the shoes while still huffing them and locks the door to his clothing shop. Well, that sounds like typical uh, Ed Wood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and his name in the, in the movie is, hold on, I'm going to look it up because the name that he uses as his nom de plume is hilarious. 
Does Bud Court rub a, a sweater while he sniffs the shoes? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, you know. <clears throat> that would be 100% Ed Wood right there. Mm. But Billy Zane escapes the hospital while wearing an Angora sweater and a nurse's outfit. Of course he does. <laughs> Who directed this movie? I'm getting there. I know. I'm I'm not pressuring you. I'm just asking that since you said you were going to look something up online and my internet's down so I can't look anything yeah, up Aris online. So. It was released in 1988. 1988? I mean 1998. And it has Billy Zane, Tippi Hendred, Juan Perlman, Christina Ricci, uh, Andrew McCarthy, Will Patton, Nicolette Sheridan. Damn, I want to see this movie now. I mean, I want to see everything that Ed Wood ever had anything to do with, but I think I have most everything Ed Wood ever had anything to do with. I even have a bunch of his, uh, like, his late-in-life porno movies. <laughs> the photographer's fucking amazing. Up. What's that? The photographer. Yeah. I have uh I have a bunch of his late in life porno movies on my little thirty five millimeter projector. That's always fun. So who directed it? Aris Aronopoulos. That's the best way I that's the best I can pronounce it. Huh. Hard, hard to see film because of legal problems between the financiers and the director. And there's no way in hell that it's ever going to get a legal legal release. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's not that hard to find, but it is fucking hard to find. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I've got it in my YouTube book of doom. (laughs) Right. Which is like a big black book of movies I downloaded off of YouTube. Very rare, hard to find shit. Like uh, the original work print of uh, Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. But yeah, they filmed it just like they think Ed Wood filmed. It's like a Fever drug dream. Right. You just watch most movies like, why are these people doing this weird shit? And imagine <laughs> Billy Zane at his most over the top. He like goes over <laughs> the top and then goes over the top again. <laughs> Double top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so speaking of uh, movies that we uh, 
that we wish had been made. Uh, and you mentioned Return of the Living Dead, which I love. It's one of my favorite films. Uh, but going down that road, I'm going to talk about a couple of movies that I wish hadn't been made. And that's a lot of the late era George Romero films. <laughs> oh, uh, for me, that's pretty yeah. much everything besides Land of the Dead post Day of the Dead. Yeah. I mean, Monty I love... Times is okay. I, mean, uh, I love uh, Dawn of the Dead, one of my favorite movies of all time. Creep Show is one of my favorite movies of all time. I didn't care that much for Land of the Dead, but it's passable. But yeah... After that, the they was just... that people weren't expecting an action film, and that's what they got. Right, right. Now, after that, things just went downhill for me, man. Like, uh, bruisers. Oh, sucked. I know some that? people defend it, but God, bruisers sucked. Oh, that's what I was just about to say, man. Bruiser is a horrible movie. And then I had high hopes for some of his later zombie movies uh, after Land of the Dead. I had some high hopes for some of those, but, but yeah, I just was not impressed. And now uh, I read recently online that I think his daughter and his son are trying to get one of his last screenplays produced so they can make another George Romero zombie movie and I'm just like yeah. no please after a survival of the dead no yeah yeah I can remember going to see that diary of the dead at the uh the at the art house theater it was the week that diary of the dead and the funny games remake opened yeah and I'm like, and I'm like, this is a good week. I was talking to some guys that were horror fans. They're like, I said, this is a good week. There's two great horror films that opened. They're like, <laughs> what's the other one? I know Diary. I'm like, have you guys ever seen Funny Games? No, I wouldn't see that. It's got what's her name from it. And my yeah. face just went pale. I just looked at them and said, you guys are fucking idiots. <laughs> I like I like Diary of the Dead to some degree, but the way that it was described in the promotional material I thought was much more interesting than the way the film was executed because It was a good friend, movie up until the third act when they reached the guy's house and then it went to shit in a It went to hell in a handbasket and greased wheels. <laughs> My friend Sean and I have always discussed making a film in that style where there's no direct camera action. Like, it's all just video surveillance and traffic light footage and stuff like that. We've always discussed making a movie like that. And when they were describing Diary of the Dead in, like I said, promotional material, they made it sound like that was the type of movie it was going to be. But it didn't really turn out like that. That's not really what they delivered. 
So yeah, Paula Diary is a dad is all through the movie. If you got half a brain, you're thinking, if this is real footage, who the fuck found this footage? Who the fuck is editing this footage together? Why is there footage? There's no way in fucking hell they could have shot. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. Yeah. That is a good point. Like I said, Sean and I have always talked about, like, putting together a a film like that where we just do, like, all right, this is ATM camera, this is the, you know, the stoplight camera, this is the camera outside the, you know, outside the building. But, yeah, now that you bring it up, I guess I never really thought about the point that in order for this movie to be believable you'd have to believe that someone found all this footage and stitched it together (laughs) yeah that's one thing about Blair Witch that most people don't fucking get right they had it tight the whole story behind it so you believe that this was actually found footage because they had the history of the footage right same with Campbell Holocaust yeah, that's funny you mentioned that. I just watched Cannibal Holocaust today as well. Yeah, that's two movies that you've mentioned today that I watched today. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you're going to have a found footage movie, you got to have logic behind why the footage is found. Yeah, and even if it's just Cannibal- a stupid title card that says they went in the house on October the 31st. Their footage was found three weeks later. (laughs) Like, Cannibal Holocaust, they kind of set it up like, you know, at the beginning, it starts in New York City, and they're like, oh, our camera crew disappeared, and this is the footage that we found. But again, it's still expertly edited. So if this is just the footage that you found, did you really take a couple hours to clip it all together and be well, like, look. I only geez. found footage is when the footage starts looking like shit. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know. I guess I guess Blair Witch Project could technically work because at least they had a digital camera. So maybe, you know, you're, they had a they're turning it off. a 16 millimeter camera. Which is why the footage quality shifts. Right. But, yeah. But the one I would like to see that we didn't get to see is the original cut of Blair Witch 2. I liked Blair Witch 2 as is, but reading about the original cut of Blair Witch 2 and all the changes they made, even the different ending, the movie would have made hell of a lot more fucking sense. (laughs) Right. I never much cared for Blair Witch 2, and I feel bad about that because I do like the filmmakers. You know, they were the same guys who did the, the, uh, what do you call it, the the documentary about the West Memphis 3. Yeah, they they directed all all of those uh, documentaries, and I really appreciate their film work. Um, but I never cared for Blair Witch 2. I, I, I thought it was too much of a departure from the first film. I've never heard that there was another cut. I've heard that there were different versions of the script, but 
I don't know. To me, it just feels yeah, like there's the a completely same. other cut that really stresses the part that every time that the protagonists are seeing something through the camera, it's a lie. Huh? Yeah. No. I've I've never I've never uh, seen another version of it. I've only seen the uh, the original version, and like I said, I didn't care much for it, so I didn't ever seek out. Anything you else about how it? In uh, certain scenes, there's like cameras with the big red light flashing on it for no reason. Right. That was in the original cut. That was supposed to be telling you that what you were seeing was bullshit. Hmm. You know. Well, I never. Uh, yeah, I guess I never really caught on to that. But again, that's because they cut I it saw- out. They cut out everything that was supposed to make explain that. Their version of Blair Witch 2 is about how, even if it's a documentary, everything that you see through a camera is from the filmmaker's point of view, not what really is. Right. Yeah, and, I mean, And that's a completely different know. movie than the one you've seen, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that I would walk around the house and annoy my wife with. Like, yeah, my uh, my wife gets so annoyed with me because I, I'll walk around the house while she's trying to, like, cook dinner or get ready for work or do dishes or something, and I'll just start griping at her about articles that I read online. I'm like, can you believe this friggin' idiot? Does he not understand how movies work? Yeah, <laughs> like you know, I'll just start screaming about stuff like this. Friggin' guy does not know how to watch a movie. Have you read this article? Have you seen this yeah. guy? He does not know. Hey, has he even watched the movie? <laughs> yeah, and Abby will be like, yeah, Abby will be like, stop, stop reading other people's movie reviews because it's just making you angry. <laughs> problem with most movie reviewers nowadays is they're not subjective. They only care about what they think. Right. And, I don't know, it is a different thing to, like, I try not I try not to be that guy, but, you know, I'm almost 50. We're close in age, you know, like, but you and I are both film aficionados and we know how to watch a movie we know how to appreciate the subtle nuances that directors uh, you know imbue their films with and you know that that's the thing like I said you know uh, my wife is close in age to me as well so it's not like she doesn't know how to watch a movie you know she's a huge Mm. fan of Wes Anderson and so she, you know, she catches all the little in-jokes and stuff in the Wes Anderson movies, and she'll sit and watch Quentin Tarantino movies with me, and she catches on to stuff. So it, it's not like she doesn't know how to watch a movie, but, yeah, she gets super irritated with me when I'm like, yeah, I'll just read someone's movie review, and I'll go storming into the kitchen while she's trying to make breakfast, and I'll be like, can you believe what this moron thinks? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It's it's hard. Like it's it's funny. 
a friend of mine posted something online the other day about how it's hard it's hard to be intelligent without bragging about being intelligent without also feeling stupid all the time because you just have yeah. to deal with other people's stupidity. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's like, I'm not I'm not. Oh, that's why I have my school. motto, which is, yeah. I know my shit, but I don't know shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> I always say, I might be an idiot, but I'm not a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. Because the second that you think that you know your shit, know everything, that's the second when you're riding and everything's going to turn to shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we but had fun, though. I sent you that stuff about the Crow City of Angels, right, where the differences between the cut we got and the cut that's still not out there is 60 freaking minutes. Yeah. Now, wasn't uh, wasn't Rob Zombie originally supposed to direct that? He was on the roster, right? Yeah, he wa- he was originally supposed to direct it, but after dealing with Harvey Weinstein for a little bit, he said, fuck it. Yeah, that would have been his first movie, right? Because that would have been before House of a yeah. Thousand Corpses. Yeah, right? So there's a whole other 60 minutes that got left on the cutting room floor? Yeah, and a whole different tone to the movie, a whole different ending. Huh. Yeah, I've never seen I've never seen that version. I've never even seen a reference to that version, but I know it was a lot more uh the I mean even the original Crow is kind of a little tacky if you watch it now, but yeah, yeah. City of Angels City of Angels is really tacky if you watch it now. Oh yeah. god, yeah. I have got to see a raw version of the work print with the time code and the time bars and all that. It is yeah. more like the comic than the first film was. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Like, I like it when a, when a movie can actually adhere. Like, I love... We were talking about Robert Rodriguez earlier. I love the first Sin City. I mean, I when I heard that they were going to make... Sin City is one of my favorite comics. I have every issue. Yeah. And when I heard that they were going to make a movie of it, I was like, nope, there's no way this is going to be good. But Robert Rodriguez did a great... Uh, did a great version, you know, that first Sin City movie. But then the second one, I was just like, no. Nope. Nope. <laughs> yeah. uh, I watched like 10 minutes of it on cable. I'm like, no fucking way. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, at least you fared better than I did. I bought a copy of it on DVD before I ever saw it, and I watched 10 minutes oh. of it and was like, nope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now it's crammed on my shelf with 200 other DVDs, just like, yeah. I'm probably never going to watch this again. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like there the the difference between in the original ending uh 
uh, what's-her-name gets killed from the first film, but he gets to go over to the other side with his son after killing Judah. And this one, he does, because he doesn't save her and all that, he's stuck on Earth wandering forever protecting the innocents. Right. Huh. Yeah. Well, speaking of comic book movies that I would like to see, but I doubt will ever happen, but I think I read something about this online earlier this week, too. Um, Probably another one of those, like, Netflix series or something, but do you think they're going to do, like, like a Neil Gaiman Sandman TV series or movie? I mean, that's one that's been been tossed around forever and a day. Yeah. Yeah. That's one that they've been talking about for a long time. The closest we ever got to a movie was Terry Gilliam was working on an adaption of death. Yeah. The death miniseries. Oh my gosh, talking about Terry Gilliam, we could do a whole episode about Terry Gilliam's un, <laughs> unfinished projects. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you remember, he was the first guy that was tapped to direct Watchmen. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm glad they didn't I, do it because his ending just seems like I would have just punched, I would have tracked him down and punched him and Sam Hamm in the mouth for that stupid ending. <laughs> the yeah. ending was uh, that uh, Night Owl, uh, Silk Spectre, and Rorschach were going to get blasted into another, and the comedian, who wasn't dead throughout the whole thing, even though his death is what motivates the whole entire fucking plot. Yeah, he dies in the very first scene. In both the comic book and the movie. Yeah. What was going to happen is they got transported to another dimension, and then they look around, and the ending was them finding out that they're comic book characters and reading the comic book. No, 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 no. They kind of did something like that with the, uh, I have the, uh, the box set of Watchmen, and you know they kind of did something like that um, with the extended version. The I have the box set that has both versions of the movie. It's got the original theatrical cut. It's got the extended version. I don't know if you have that one as well, but... Uh, oh, I got my own piecemeal set. It has the uh, extended cut, the theatrical cut, and the longer-than-fucking-God cut with... Uh, <laughs> the black yeah. uh, freighter footage the black, back, added back yeah, in. Yeah, the black freighter. That, that's the one I was talking about, is that version that has the black freighter stuff in it. It's kind of, you know, the kids reading, because even in the original theatrical version, the kid goes to the newsstand and buys the comic book that he reads, but we only get to see it in that extended cut where he's reading the Black Freighter comics, and then it goes into the animation. So I think that's kind of what they were trying to get at. But, I mean, 
no matter how you would have ended it, a lot of people were pissed off at the ending because, you know, the original Watchmen doesn't end with, uh, you know, like the way the movie ends. It ends with like some giant alien creature coming down and destroying New yeah, York City. You know City. why uh, Alan Moore wrote that ending, right? No. It was a big fuck you, DC. He, they was wanting to do, uh, to keep the rights to it, and they pissed him off so much, he said, okay, you want you want that? I'm going to fuck up the whole series. And so he just dropped <laughs> a giant squid. Right. Right. Yeah, wasn't it originally supposed to end with, like, a like a nuke, like, nuclear bomb, bomb in New York City? Yeah, Dr. Manhattan. It was supposed to end like the movie ended, with the fear of Dr. Manhattan over everybody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, I don't know. It was, they should be I don't know. That's good. You need to see that yeah. one, too. Yeah. No, I... Yeah, I have all the. Uh, I have, I still have all the issues of Watchmen. I, when from when they came out, my comic book collection is insane. Just like my DVD and VHS and Blu-ray. Yeah, I, I, I got, yeah I got Terry Gilliam's would have been good, but Robin Williams as the as Rorschach. No, 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 not having it. <laughs> Blaine Eastwood as the comedian? Uh, maybe, I guess, but again, only if he died in the opening scene. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I like the movie the way it came out. And, you know, I'm not even a big fan uh, of... Uh, What's his name? Ass face. Zack Snyder. Uh, <laughs> Zack Snyder. Yeah. <laughs> I call him ass face pudding pants. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm not I a big the fan cu- of him. I love the cut with the fader footage put back in, but there's no way that would have played in a theater. No. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. No. There were a lot of people antsy when I went to see the three-hour cut. Yeah, right. I know. I don't understand people, man. Like, you either like movies or you don't. Like, I don't get it. Like, I'll go sit in a theater for four hours if it's a movie that I want to see, you know? Like, if you don't well, want to like see Brand it, House, I knew I was fu- I knew the movie was fucked when I seen people walk out after Planet Terror ended. And one guy was saying to his wife, well, what the hell? I thought Kurt Russell was in this. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, well, just wait 20 minutes and you'll see him, but yeah, oh well. I, I mean, I thought that people to understand something as simple as a double feature. <laughs> yeah, but again, you and I are a different breed of uh, of film lovers. You know, like some yeah, people just don't, don't realize that that was ever a thing. Yeah. So, I don't. But and then there's the James so, Cameron yeah, uh, version of the of uh, Spider Man. 
James Cameron version. Uh, oh, and now with 60 Minutes, we're going to talk about two of the big holy grails, one that did come out and one that didn't. The one that didn't that fans wanted from the second they seen him, and you probably say, what's the first thing that you wanted after you seen Buckaroo Banzai? Well, Buckaroo Banzai, the adventure continues. <laughs> and Buckaroo Banzai in the World Death League versus the World Death League. Yeah, right? I guess the adventure never continued for him or Remo Williams. <laughs> yeah. Well, Remo, you just had to get the books. There's over like 150 to plus uh, books now. Yeah, right? I just always thought it was funny that the movie was Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins, but The Adventure never continued. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why would they think... <laughs> Hey, we have a movie called The Destroyer. Cool. Right. Let's call it Remo Williams. What? <laughs> right. Uh. But yeah, what if they took the script to uh repurposed it and used it for a different movie, the Buckaroo Banzai versus right. the World Death League. Right. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, what do you think? All they'd have to do is uh, change uh, Buckaroo Banzai into a goofy trucker, and the World Death League into Japanese ghosts and demons. And what would you name a movie like that? Yeah. Well, again, we're in the era of uh, where everyone's doing like you know, 10-hour, they're doing, like, 10-hour Netflix series. That seems like it would be a cool idea. Yeah, you know what I would name it? Tell me. Big Trouble in Little China. (laughs) I think there's already a movie called that. Bingo! Big Trouble in Little China is a rewritten script by W. W. Richter and the guys from Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah, it's the rewritten I knew script the... from that. Yeah, it's the rewritten script of Buckaroo Banzai versus the World Death League. That's what happened to that idea. They rewrote it, and John Carpenter took it, and we got big trouble in Little China. Nice. Yeah. Gotta love John Carpenter, man. He runs with whatever you give him. <laughs> Speaking of Jack, John Carpenter, this is not the, well, this is not one of the big ones. Yeah, this is one of the big ones. Escape from Earth. But that's oh, the second yeah. biggest one. The one that I yeah. wanted the most is the one they referenced all over Escape from L.A. Yeah. And that would be Escape from Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> that one, I wonder, just hearing John, uh, John Carpenter and Kurt Russell told about it, would have been hilarious. Right. He escaped New York. He escaped the toughest cities in New York. 
Now he has to go through hell. Escape from the <laughs>
Yeah. And then, like you just mentioned, like the way that they exploited him across the pond. And, I mean, I love Lucio Fulci, but, I mean, he did. I mean, I guess ultimately they worked together on some of those uh, reboots, and so did Dario Argento. But, yeah, they they did rip off some George Romero across the pond Honestly, there. with the way it plays, I could see Zombie as a prequel to Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have the Day of the Dead, uh, Dawn of the Dead uh, box set, uh, rather, uh, that Dario Argento did his uh, his cut of Dawn of the Dead on, which is cool. Yeah. That's neat. I, I I don't like it. It's too fast paced, too action bit, and it doesn't focus on the on the nuances that the two hour cut. Yeah. I like the two hour cut the best now. All right. Well, I think we only got about ten more seconds here, so Second I think it's about time to say good night to all the listeners. Yeah. Good night, everybody. Well, it says here six. We got six minutes left. Oh, good night, everybody. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.